Pastor Jason has given me another hard one. I think he likes to do that. And I will say from the outset, this is not an easy message, but it's an important message. And we've been talking about the various parables in the scriptures, and there's 46 of them. And what we're going to talk about tonight, there's nine that are part of the apocalyptic literature. These are the ones that were at the end of the ministry of Jesus when he talked about two sons, one obeys, one doesn't. He talks about wicked tenants who don't take care and don't steward what they've been entrusted with. Uh, We talked about the invitation to the banquet. Um, You have to have an invitation And God is so gracious that he keeps extending the invitation to whosoever will. And then the signs from the fig tree. How many know biblically that Israel is the fig tree? And in 1948, when it became a state again, all of a sudden, prophecy opened up like it had never opened up before. And Daniel says that when the last days come, and even the last hours come, all of a sudden God is going to open up his scriptures in a way that we've not seen before. And even though we've read it, we may not have understand it, but we're going to live in an age now where revelation is going to happen in the human heart. And people are going to grasp what God is saying in his word. And once you understand what it is that God requires of you in his word, you realign your life. And then the wise and foolish servants, the wise and foolish virgins, and today the sheep and the goats. This should be interesting. And so as we look into this portion in Matthew 25, it comes right after Matthew 24 where the disciples sitting on the Mount of Olives said, Jesus, tell us what are the signs that we are to look for in understanding your return. And so if you read Matthew 24, there's a whole range of signs that he wants us to be aware of. What it is, is a reality check. It's God letting us know what's on the road ahead so that we can be prepared. And in Matthew 24, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations or all people groups. And then he says these words, and then the end will come. So you've heard it, I've heard it, we've seen the cartoons of the guy walking down the road with the sandwich board saying the end is near, and we all mock and we scoff and we kind of look at it, but Jesus is saying the end will come. There's an expiry date to all that he is doing in the earth. And we have to remember that that this old order that we're living in is going to pass away and a new order is going to come. And it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, holiness, the presence of God constantly. We don't see that right now. The only time we get a little bit of a feel about that is when we're together. When the church gathers, the invisible church becomes visible on Sunday. When we gather together and we look and we see one another, and even if you're online, we see you. Just want you to know that. You're in your jammies having your coffee. We have to dress up and come here. Come on. So there's this whole issue that when we come together and we worship, as Joyce said a moment ago, all of a sudden the atmosphere is an atmosphere of love, of peace, and of faith in God. 
to believe him to do above and beyond what we could ever think or ask. That's the concept of the kingdom of God. And so when he says the end is coming, he prefaces that by giving us three judgments that are going to take place. Because when we look at the sheep and goats, we use the term final. It just means that that portion of judgment is over, but there's one yet to come. So the first judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. That's for the body of Christ. That's for the church. That's about rewards for our service on earth to the mission that Jesus had. And that's after the groom comes for his bride and removes his bride so that the purposes of God now on the earth for unbelievers and for Israel can unfold. So judgment seat of Christ, called the Bema. You never have to be concerned about that if you're a child of God. Because when you stand before him, your salvation is never in question. When Jesus saves us, he does a complete work. How many know that? Does a complete work. When you're saved, you're saved. You're saved from the wrath of God to come. You're saved from the judgments. No matter what you've done in your life, Jesus took it upon himself on the cross and said, now you go free. So the anchor gets pulled up and you're able now to live your life, providing you listen to what God's word says to you. Otherwise, you'll play the victim card the rest of your life. And you don't want to do that. You want to say, my identity now is in Jesus Christ, and whom the Son sets free, he is absolutely free indeed. And I'm going to live this out to the best of my ability with the strength and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life. So that's judgment seat of Christ. The second one is what we're going to talk about today, which is the judgment of the nations, or the sheep and the goats in the nations of the world. And uh, that will be for, obviously, the survivors of the tribulation period before the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ on earth. The sheep are going to enter in, and the goats are going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to join Satan in torment. So when you and I hear stuff like that, we have to go, Lord, is that really what your word is all about? That you're working in human life in every generation to draw them out of the world into your kingdom, to take them from being goats to becoming sheep, and then to enjoy presence with you for all eternity? And he says, yes, that's what I'm doing in the Word. And the very last judgment is the great white throne judgment, and that is for history's unbelievers. They will stand before him. And when we say, why is it great white? Because there used to be on the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle in the temple, blood that was shed on the mercy seat between the two cherubim. And at the great white throne judgment, there's no blood there anymore. All that's left is judgment. And so when unbelievers are resurrected, which is the second resurrection, all they're going to hear is, depart from me. So I hope that you will listen today with your both ears and your whole heart and that you will understand that this is very, very important for your life and for my life. One of the things that you will learn today is the cry of our generation is a cry for identity. And the identity that you want to have on your life is 
I'm a sheep. And I'm under the care of the great shepherd. And he is directing my steps every single day. And the last step that I take out of this earth into eternity, my shepherd will be there to greet me. So that's the identity you want to have in your heart and in your life. And parables, as we're learning, are meant to instruct those who believe and to warn those who do not believe. So I want to take you in for about two and a half minutes. I want you just to settle back, and I want you to think what it would have been like for the disciples to simply walk with Jesus every single day and to deal with the things that were going on with, with Romans, with the, the, the perilous chiefs and Pharisees of the day. And here's Jesus in the midst of it all, and he's just about ready now to go to the cross. And this is his final talk to his disciples, his final discourse before he goes to the cross, to Passion Week. So come with me as we see what the disciples heard Jesus teach on Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. A final discourse 
before he goes to the cross. They still don't understand what it is he's trying to commute to them. They're listening, and you notice the faces. I think what I love most about this clip is that Jesus is not a white man. He comes from the Middle East, so his skin is going to be a little bit olive or brown. I love how he uses his hands. He's almost French-Canadian like the rest of us that are. And how he does these kind of actions. But they're intent on listening to him because the end is coming and this is a vital message for them to hear. The Son of Man denotes his humanity. Born of a woman, born in the city of Bethlehem, originates in the heart of God and comes to this earth to save the earth, to save those that are living in the earth. That's a demonstration of the Father's love for you and for me, the reason Jesus comes. But there's also an understanding in the midst of all of this that there's an enemy. And when you study the scriptures, you get to understand the storyline. So he's not only son of man doing all of these things that he does in caring for others and feeding the hungry and giving water to the thirsty and clothing. He's doing all of that as a demonstration that men and women are made in the image and likeness of God. It's called Imago Dei when you study scripture. And it's the dignity of human beings. And when you can see Jesus in the eyes of others made in the image and likeness of God, you will treat them differently than if you just see them as just another person. And so Jesus comes with those kind of eyes. Eternity is stamped in them, and he is looking at people that have a potential for the future, and he's encouraging to come follow him. And so the challenge there all the time is to take what the Scriptures say and to realize it. Jesus is not only Son of Man, but he's Son of God. He's eternal. He's the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And he says to the high priests of his day, I am who you say I am. I am the Messiah. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So sometimes we get criticized that all you guys are doing is just looking for Jesus to return. I don't know about you, I am looking for Jesus to return. And I'm looking up, because that's how he ascended into heaven. He also descended from heaven, and he's coming back for his church. You and me, and all those who have given their hearts and their lives to him. The Bible says in verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations, or all the people groups, he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Uh, I'm not sure if some of you know that Pastor Carter Conlon used to be part of Life Center many years ago, and he became the pastor of Times Square Church under David Wilkerson, and he had a sheep farm outside the city. And he invited Joyce and I to go one time and we were there looking around at all the sheep and all the goats, and he said, come with me. So I went with him, and 
He had me stand right in the middle of all the sheep and all the goats. And he says, just watch the goat. Because if you turn your back to the goat, he's going to whack you. So just keep your eyes on the goat. So at that point on, I can't see anything but just the goat. But I'm standing, and he said, this is how I call my sheep. And he whispered it in my ear. And he said, say it. So I said it. Nothing. He said, say it again. I said it again. Nothing. And he said, watch. And he said it. And all the sheep turned towards him. What's the example of Scripture? My sheep know my voice, and no one else will they follow. So when you look at things like this and you say, he's talking to people who understand sheep and goats. He knows that the shepherd will gather all the sheep and the goats and there'll be one flock together and all of a sudden the shepherd will make a certain call and the sheep will go with him and the goats will go with another shepherd because there usually were two that were working in the field. And so you have to know that Jesus Christ understands using natural examples to reveal spiritual truth, making it simple so that we don't complicate it. Revelation 1 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Think about it. Even those who pierced him. So he's talking about the Gentile world, and he's talking about the Jewish world. Even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. And Revelation says, Then even so, amen. Let it be. If this is the reality of what we can expect in the future, let it be. And then he says he'll place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. Imagine that. He's going to actually divide the flock between the sheep and the goats. When he's teaching this to his disciples, Judas is listening as are all the other 11. They're listening. It's not enough to listen. You have to hear what's being said. You have to apply it to your heart and exercise faith to put it into practice. Because a lot of people hear a lot of things. Do you remember when you were in high school in physics class and you heard the teacher but you didn't understand? no matter how much he explained, but you wanted to, so you got a tutor, and they helped you know how to do that. Sometimes when it comes to biblical truth, we hear, but we don't hear. That's why Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. And if you don't grasp it, say, Holy Spirit, bring understanding to my mind and to my heart because I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. I want to be a bond slave of yours every single day of my life. Biblical sheep have a righteousness to them. They have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. He knows them, and they follow him. It's not enough for you to say, well, I know Jesus. The question is, does Jesus know you? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? King will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. 
So there is a 1,000-year millennial kingdom coming on earth to restore everything that has been destroyed and broken by the enemy and by sin. And he is going to renew this world that you and I are a part of. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you? Hungry, thirsty, in prison, sick. When did we see you? When were you a stranger, Lord? And the king will say, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers. Now, let's go back. If you can see Imago Dei in someone's life, it doesn't matter how destroyed they are. I used to do an illustration years ago, and I'd get the kids sitting at the front, and I'd take a $20 bill, and I'd say, who wants the $20 bill? Crisp, clean, beautiful, and they all said, I do, I do, and then I would take it, and I would crumple it up in my hand, and I'd say, who still wants the $20 bill? I do, I do. Then I would put it on the floor and step on it, and I'd squish it in, make it all dirty, sometimes even spit on it, and I'd say to the kids, who still wants it? And the, some of the hands would start to drop. I'd be like, oh, yuck, I don't want that, and yet the child that sees that the value of the $20 bill never changes, no matter what it goes through, said, I'll take it, Pastor Barry. And I'd give the kid the $20 bill. He'd kind of wipe it off, make it nice, put it in his pocket. And all the other kids go, aw. <laughs> when you see it, you will understand it. When you see the dignity of the image of God in the life of the people around you, no matter what condition you're in, then you will understand the heart of God for the people of this world, the heart of God for the lost, the heart of God for the broken, the heart of God for the hungry and the thirsty. And one of the things that Jesus is making clear in all of this is when you do it to the least of these, the Pharisees were offended at what Jesus was doing because he was hanging out with just the ordinary people. And, and they were offended by that because they couldn't see Imago Dei. They couldn't see the image of God in another person's life. It had to be based on position and pride and all of those things. And so Jesus goes along and he says to them, you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you do it to me. And then people ask that question all the time. Well, then, who are the brothers you're talking about? Are you talking about just the disciples? Are you talking about Jewish people? Who are you talking about? And Jesus answers them, and he said, in the crowd that was gathered, your mother and your brothers are here. What about them? And Jesus answers and said, whoever does the will of God, that's my mother and that's my brother. So when you see the needs in people's lives and you reach out to them in the name of Jesus, you're putting into practice what Jesus did by identifying the need of people to be part of the family of God. And so I trust that you will do that in your life as a sheep. And if you do that, you're going to hear him say, blessed.
are you. Come into the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. But if you're a goat, you know what a goat does? Butts everything. Jesus said, but. Word of God is the Bible, but. They have a reason and excuse all the time to but everything that God's trying to do in their life. And so the goats are those who live in rebellion to God. They're not submissive. They choose to wander. If you see sheep in a field, they usually have their head down and they graze. And they kind of stay together in the field. They know the safety of the shepherd. They don't wander too far. But you ever see goats? They're all over the place. They don't graze. They're climbing up trees. They're just doing all kinds of wild things. Their heads are always up trying to get at the branches and try to eat the leaves, while the submissive sheep always have their head down in humility, grazing on the grass provided for them. And the goats are saying, I don't care what the shepherd provides. I'm going to go find it myself. That's rebellion to the shepherd. Then he says to those on the left, to the goats, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he does the whole list of hunger and thirst and a stranger and naked and in prison and all of these things. So here's the question I want to leave you with. Is Jesus just talking about physical needs or temporal needs in the human heart? Because a lot of times... Religion is based on works. It's based on I'm earning brownie points if I give food to someone. I'm getting brownie points if I give someone a drink, if I clothe them, if I visit them, if I pray for them. I'm getting brownie points. How many know brownie points don't count? Works are an outflow of your faith in God. Works are not something that you do to prove to God that you're worthy because you and I will never be worthy. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah says. So the reality is that when we serve others, we're not looking around to see who sees us. When you serve out of a heart that understands Imago Dei, the image of God and the life of someone that you're caring for, you're doing it as unto him. But if your motive is to get brownie points or your motive is to be seen, then that's not going to happen. So the parable of the sheep and goats is serious, not about good deeds. The problem is not in our doing. The problem is in our being. Are we in vital relationship with Jesus Christ, the most gracious and generous person on earth, without Jesus Christ, is lost, and lost eternally. So you can imagine when those disciples are listening to Jesus, this is something very serious that's going on in their hearts because they understand sheep and goats, and now they're hearing about separation between the two. Now they're hearing about eternal life, and now they're hearing about eternal punishment. You and I were born, we're now eternal. We will live forever and forever and forever, either in the presence of God or 
excluded from the presence of God. Don't believe the lie of the goats that say when you die, that's all there is. There ain't no more. They put you in the ground. It's done. You will live forever. So you can imagine Jesus getting ready to go to the cross, and these nine apocalyptic parables, he is strengthening their understanding from Matthew 21 to Matthew 25. And then seven and eight are the issues of Passion Week. So he is honing in now on what they need to understand on how God views them and where their eternity will be. Physical needs are one thing. Spiritual needs are another. And Jesus gives us a final example in one of his moments with a woman at a well. And he wasn't supposed to be there with her. The disciples had gone to get some food, and yet he finds himself at a well with a woman who wants to get a drink of water. And here's how you witness to people. Jesus takes a natural example, and he moves her into a spiritual reality. Why? Because he is a spiritual being, spiritual man. He's come on a mission to save that which is lost. She's lost. He reaches out to her. She said, I need some water. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water, they will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him or her will never be thirsty again. And you know the rest of the story. Sir, give me that water. Jesus is addressing the greatest need of the human life and the human heart, and it's a spiritual need. He's addressing the sheep and goats to help us understand there's more than a physical part to your life, and there's more than a physical need to your life. And so let me just propose this for all of us. If someone's hungry and we take care of their physical need, but then we say to them from Matthew 4, but man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All of a sudden people realize, so that was my real hunger. It wasn't a hunger just for food. It was a hunger for God at work in my life. What about thirst? On the last day of the feast, the great day, that's the feast of Sukkot, the booths that they lived in to show that their lives were temporary. Jesus stood up and cried out and said, if anybody's thirsty, let them come to me and drink, John 7. So when people are thirsty, it's for more than water. Yes, we give them water. But we remind them that there's a thirst of the soul that can be satisfied as Jesus Christ comes into a heart. Strangers. Ephesians 2 says to us, you're no longer a stranger and an alien, but you're a fellow citizen now with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You can be lonely. You can be a stranger in life. You can have no friends, and you can realize, well, I need a friend. But friends are natural, and they will die, or they will move away, or they will change. They will do something. You can't put all your trust in that. 
And so what the scripture is saying is you can be a citizen of the kingdom of God and you'll no longer be a stranger. So that no matter where you go, I'll have people that are available to you that are part of my body and you will bear witness with them and you will connect with them and you'll find a place of home and you'll find a place where your heart is satisfied. You won't live in loneliness anymore. What about naked? Somebody can have a need for clothing. We can provide that. That's a wonderful thing to do. Scripture says we know that if this tent of our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. 2 Corinthians 5. So you see, all through the scriptures, we're not just talking about natural, physical needs being met. If you see Imago Day in someone's life, you'll meet those needs. We have a food bank. We have a clothing center. We do all of those things. We need to do those things. But you can't do those things without bringing Jesus Christ and the gospel to bear on it. It's not enough just to feed them. It's not enough just to give them a drink. It's not enough just to clothe them. Because their life could be snuffed out in a moment of time because life is unpredictable. Have you noticed that? Unpredictable. So people need to be ready. So whether it is the need for the word of God, whether it is the need for a drink from what Jesus is promising, whether it is being a stranger and becoming part of the body of Christ and knowing you're not alone, you're part of something that's many-membered, or whether it is naked. And last but not least, what about prison? Come and visit me. We have ministries that go into the prison all the time. Some of us have been in prison. Some of us have gone through things in our lives. And people have come to our aid. They've helped us. They've made us realize some things in our life that I don't want to live this way anymore. And Scripture says in Luke 4, God the Father has sent me to proclaim liberty to everyone that's captive. No matter what you're imprisoned to, he's come to set the captives free. So it's not enough for someone to be released from a prison and walk out the door, and if they're not changed, they're going to go back in the door. He promises us he'll set whatever it is that's wrong in us right, and the captive will go free, free to serve the purposes of God from here on in. And so let's conclude by saying in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus succeeded in doing everything the Father sent him in the world to do, and that was to seek and to save that which is lost. I want you to know he's giving an invitation to you right now, to you online. He is working his heart so that you can feel it in your own life and realize what's being said from God's word is the truth and it's the truth that will set me free and it's the message that will change my life and my destination. It will do all of those things because of the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not, what? Perish, but have 
everlasting life. He wants you to be one of his sheep. He doesn't want you to be a goat. And so here's the ministry of Jesus in one scripture verse. This is why he came. This is what he did. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he did that in his hometown, in Nazareth, in the synagogue. He has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. You can have everything the world has to offer, and without the knowledge of Christ, you're poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You and I are living in a moment of favor. God is doing wonderful things all around the world, and he wants you to be a part of what it is that he's doing. You can look at your life when you're young, you're full of pride, you say, I can do it myself, and you do all the things you want to do yourself, and you get yourself into a mess. And even if you're successful in life, but you're without Christ, that's being a failure in God's eyes. Because you've put your hope in temporal things and they pass away. That's not a good investment. But when you put your hope in Christ, that's eternal, that's a good investment. And so the challenge for us all the time is to say, Lord, I don't want to live in pride. I want to live in humility. I want to be like a sheep. I want to recognize you are my shepherd and that I'm going to follow you every single day of my life. I'm getting up there now in years, and guess what older people have to deal with? We don't have to deal with pride like we did when we were young. We have to live with regrets. We have a lot of things that we've done in our life that we wish we hadn't of. Wish we had learned earlier on. Wish we'd applied some things earlier on. I know when I look back over my life and I see things and I remember things and I say, Lord, I'm so grateful that you allow me to remember that because now I know the freedom that I have from that because you intervened in my life and you changed my heart. My circumstances may not have changed, but you changed my heart. You gave me the capacity to do what you're calling me to do no matter what I've gone through in my past. And so, yes, I have regrets but I always take them to the Lord and say, Father, thank you that I can't live my life over again, but I can from this moment on live it differently and live it better by recognizing that I'm a sheep, you're my shepherd, and you're directing my steps. And because you are, I have confidence in what you're doing. You, when you came in, you were given a communion cup. If you didn't get it, the ushers are around and they will distribute that to you. If you're not familiar with communion, it is a little cup that has a wafer on top representing the bread, and then it has juice inside representing the blood of Christ, the cup. We know that on the last night, as Jesus gathered with his disciples, they had a meal together, which was normal. But then he said to them, I'm going to do something for you that will be something that you must remember. And he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, 
And he said to them, this is my body, which is given for you. Take it and eat it and do this every time you do it. Do it in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup. He blessed it. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. I want you to drink it. And as you do, do this in remembrance of me. This is for the cleansing of your sinful life. This is what brings you into forgiveness. This is what establishes your name in my Lamb's Book of Life. This is what opens the door for you to live forever in the presence of God. And in John 6, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. So this is a moment of remembrance. This is a sacred moment where we step back and we say, Jesus, you didn't do this just for yourself. You did this to honor your Father, to fulfill the plan that the Father put in your life, and you did it to bring us into your kingdom. You and I are the Father's gift to the Son in the accomplishing of the work at the cross so that we could move from being goats to being sheep. So let's partake together. Father, we take a moment right now to say thank you that you help us to examine our hearts and our position before you. You help us to see that we need to be led by Holy Spirit every single day of our lives. You remind us, Lord, that the works that we do are not just temporal works, but they're eternal. You remind us, Lord, that living for you is the wisest thing that we can do in our life. And as we sang a little while ago, that you will never fail us, you won't. And because of that, our confidence is in you. So that, Father, from now on, we can take a step into the next chapter of our walk with you. And it can be the best chapter ever. Because we've committed to say today, you are our shepherd and we are your sheep. We pray for Lord all the goats that listen to this message today, that they will assess their own heart and realize they don't want to butt up against truth. They don't want to butt up against that which would set them free. And so, Father, give us wisdom as we go out into our world and we come as salt and we come as light in the midst of a dark generation and that we make a difference in people's lives as you lead us to take natural things and reveal spiritual truth. So we thank you today for all that you've done in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.